Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from yes, Nairobi, Kenya, a new location for us. And we are not going to talk much about where we are at the moment because we just got here and we don't know that much about it. But we do know that there is a campground yes. nearby. <laughs> yes, uh, we saw it other way here. Which we have not had time to check out and probably RVs. will not. <laughs> but we uh, are here uh, after... A very long plane ride uh, with a stop in Dubai, which is the United Arab Emirates, which we're going to talk about uh, a fair amount uh, at the end of the podcast because we're sure that you're interested in our travel experiences. But first, we're going to talk about RVing. While it's still fresh in our mind, we want to... Before we get lions and tigers. Um, I guess we want to remember yeah, our yeah. experience getting our um, Dutch Star repairs done in Middlebury, Indiana. No, no, no Napanee. Oh, Napanee, that's yes, where we that's are. Where South of Elkhart. We go back to the factory to have things fixed. And as we told you before, we had a problem with a slide. Um, our smallest slide, which seems unusual, stopped working. Uh, fortunately, it stopped working. At the very end of the trip. And it's the slide the that only covers the washing machine, which, as long as I'm not <laughs> doing any laundry, is not a major inconvenience. But when it came time to think about winterizing yes. the motorhome before we left on well, this trip... Um, Ken needed to get at the washer and dryer to do that, and obviously we needed to get it fixed. Well, we wanted to get it fixed anyway. We like to keep our RV in good shape, so we made an appointment with uh, our friends at Numar, which was a long way down the road, frankly, from when we made it. We were surprised. We drove down there, about two and a half hours from home, and we went to Camp Numar. Um, as many of these repair <laughs> facilities do, they have um, places for you to plug in and dump and all the things that you need to do at any other campground. And it's free. And a lovely lounge with some <laughs> decent internet and coffee perking. And they try to make the best of what inevitably turns out to be not that much fun. <laughs> um, in this case, the um, appointment began at 6 a.m., an ungodly really, hour for people such really as ourselves. Um, and since we had gone from central time zone into the oh. eastern time zone, it was even an hour earlier for our bodies. But. And as they told us to be ready, I mumbled under my breath, they damn well better come when they say they're <laughs> going to come because we've had bad experiences yeah, boy, is at she mad. repair facilities where they get you up at 6 and then they come get you at 11. But sure enough, at 6.05, a kindly Amish gentleman was not at our door and ready to take our rig away to figure out what the problem was with the slide. It was interesting because the slide design was such that when the slide is in, I couldn't get at the motor. Most of the slide mechanism on our other slides is available either in the basement or in one case under the bed so that you could, you know, at least look at it and see if there's some problem. But this slide was totally enclosed. Or I had no idea where the mechanism was, so... We had them look at it, and after a couple of hours of uh, looking at it, they gave us a, a jingle on the phone and said, well, your motor is burned up. And where the hell is the motor? Well, of course, the motor is up above the tag axle and exposed to the outside. 
So they had to take the tire off before they could they get at it. Take the tag tire off on the on the passenger side, and then they had to disassemble the motor assembly and take the motor out and put in a new one. The good thing about going to the factory is, is that they had a new one. Yeah, and the guys knew exactly what to do. It's not like they had never heard of this before. And in fact, they had heard of it so much it made me wonder why they hadn't done something about designing it to work in a more protected environment. Yeah, I mean, putting a, the slide motor out above the tag axle, just, oh, here, I can feel the rant is coming. I'm, I'm resisting a rant, but why on earth would they ever put slide-out motor exposed to the elements above the tire? Well, I know why. And you know, you can just see at some production meeting that they said, well, we have to have uh, four slides on this model, on this floor plan. The engineer said, oh, there's no place to put the motor on this slide. And the, and the designer said, make it work. And they did make it work, but it doesn't work for long. So our rig being three years, uh, coming up on four years old, you, you say, why did it fail after such a short period of time? And why did it fail when we were no and longer course, under takes, warranty? Yeah, Numar takes no responsibility for it. So it was $119 worth of an hour of labor, six hours of labor, and $577 for the motor. Ka-ching, ka-ching. Ka-ching, ka-ching. The free camping doesn't look very free anymore. <laughs> but, you know, you, you wonder if these people ever live in these RVs. And, you know, this is a, I, I'm going to put a link up on our webpage about uh, RV engineers, designers need to use the RVs they create. You know, it's just in, ridiculous that there is no uh, accountability for engineers and people who design RVs to make them livable. And we've seen this time and time again. And this article has a number of uh, interesting problems with RVs that could easily have been solved had the engineers actually lived in the RV. And we've seen this, you know, salesmen need to use the RVs. We took a factory tour of Integra, and which we're going to talk about too in a few minutes, but the guys who were giving us the tour clearly had never RV'd themselves. And didn't you get that impression? Very much so. And they were engineers, I think. They were engineers. Yeah. They had never RV'd. And because we told them things about their, about their product, which they didn't believe. was news to them. <laughs> and they, they were part of the, the design team. You just wonder, this, you know, as a complete total system of, you know, for living in a lifestyle, they just don't uh, pay really close attention to the details. And this is just wonderful. They don't know what they don't know. So that was a rant, huh? Yeah, well, Sorry. I, I <laughs> totally agree. Even in Africa, I can do rants. Okay, so... And, of course, while we were at the um, Newmar facility, we had them look at our air conditioner, which oh, had yes. been running in a slightly anemic manner. And the guy had time to assess the problem during our appointment time, but he didn't have time to fix the problem, and we had to stay yet oh, another yeah. night. So we got two free nights. In, in wonderful <laughs> Napanee, Indiana. <laughs> two of the most expensive nights we've ever spent. Almost as, I think it was actually more than the, uh, the night we spent on the ferry. On the ferry. <laughs> Oh, I hate to think about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we get we know how to get bargains. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I suppose you you could camp at the Newmar campground on any time. Right. Well, I think we paid for enough of it too. Anyway, the air conditioner was fixed, and I don't know how important dash air is, but we got it fixed, and it's. Uh, and of course, now it's turned cold at home, and will be for quite some time. So we'll have no idea whether what they did did any good. But I was glad that they found a part to replace, rather than just pumping more coolant in and having it seep out again. Whatever the problem was. So on our big day in Napanee, we did actually two tours. Uh, we did uh, the Newmar tour. Which we've done before. Which is a, a tour of the you know, the entire facility besides the paint, which is very interesting, by the way. And then we were looking for another tour to do because we had plenty of time to spend. Plenty of time. <laughs> so we decided to go to Integra, which makes a coach which, on the surface anyway, uh, is very much a competitor to Numar. It's made by Jayco, but it is an independent uh, branch of Jayco, but supported by Jayco. And we were shocked at the difference between the two. Because when you look at them on the lot, they are virtually, well, many of the, the things are the same. And I'm not really saying bad things about Integra. Just or different. It's just the difference in the factories was very dramatic. And their approach. So in the, in the Newmar tour, Newmar is now making, which is very good news, now making nine units a day. And so it's a complete assembly line. And they make... Uh, the gassers, the base stars, so they make the low-end models, and the high-end Essex and King Airs on the same line. So as you walk through the Numar plant and you watch things being assembled, there are <laughs> every every vehicle is they're coming all together in, there. Yeah, they're all every different vehicle depending on on orders is. And is in my there. mind, each vehicle is custom made in that it's not just a spec model; it's been ordered by somebody, mm -hmm. possibly a dealer, but possibly a customer like us with exactly what they Through think they want to have on it. Whereas in Integra, they felt that they were going to do a better job by just making a mass-produced item. They said it would help on resale. I wasn't so uh, sure about that. So their, their plan at Integra, the, the factory tour we took there, their idea was is that we don't customize. You buy it the way it is. So some plans came with all electric. Some plans came with propane. Uh, whereas Numar says, eh, you can have either one on any th almost any model, uh, it, not the small gassers, but you can have uh, all electric on any one of our models, and we will customize it to your to your needs. And that plus uh, putting in different furniture and different walls and and all sorts of stuff that Numar will do in electric outlets, which for me is very important, uh, is is critical uh, to have the electronics built the way we want them. So I think that it's interesting that the larger company and Integra was making three units a day. Three, which is, I mean, it was a big plant, but it was making only three units a day. And Numar, making three times that number, was able to customize to an extent which Integra just said no way. So if you go and you look at an Integra and you like the floor plan and you like everything about it as it is, well, it's probably, one. it's probably a decent coach. But if you want anything changed, you know, you want a sleeper instead of, or like we have in ours, we have a number of plan, a number of nice things. We have, like, the two lounge chairs. Um, you can get uh, electric locks. You can get, you know, all sorts of things that uh, different awnings that uh, you can customize. And not only that, do they have an option sheet, as you'd find with a car, but they also have special things. 
there are people who want, uh, <laughs> for instance, a hot water connection in the front. And you can have that. Or you can have, you know, all sorts of things. So, uh, you know, as you're looking at coaches, be sure that you understand what the manufacturer's philosophy is because this is two very different philosophies. And, of course, the prices are there, too. Numar makes a wide range of prices, whereas the prices from the Integra were quite narrow. Because they had a narrower range of products Of course, as they well. didn't make any gas. And I was surprised gases. to learn that if we had wanted to learn, order a Numar uh, on that day in October, that we wouldn't be able to take delivery until March. So they seem to be doing well and quite busy. Yes, that's which is good news. So we drove home, drove our motorhome home, went to bed, got up the next morning, <laughs> and had yet another problem uh. to repair. Um, we had a flat tire. And adding to our confusion about this flat tire was the fact that it was the same tire that the tech had taken off to the fix tag. our the passenger side tag. motor for the slide. In so all honesty, I had noticed on the way home that my tire pressure sensor had gone off and that it had gone down to... 40 or 50 pounds of pressure, but I figure I'm only two hours from home, and at the tag axle, eh, I don't really need it anyway, so I drove home, and I was planning on just filling it with air, because it, I'd had some problems with it uh, losing a bit of air, uh, but not such a great quantity over the last couple months, and <laughs> it came out in the morning. And it was so flat that, <laughs> would you say, it had lost the bead? In my mind, the rubber part had come off the rim. And so <laughs> That's highly technical. It wouldn't, it, you couldn't put air in it anymore. So we had yeah, to I, call. Yeah, with my, with my compressor, I couldn't, even if it, the, I thought the tire, I thought really the stem was bad and that all we needed to do was pump it up and tighten up the stem. But I couldn't pump it up because the bead was no longer on the rim. So we had to call emergency roadside assistance in front of our home. <laughs> if well, it had to happen, good Sam, it was a, a convenient day. way to do it. Exactly. So we were, <laughs> I don't, well, good Sam is good. And they found us a guy, a company that uh, fixes tires for truck tires on the road. The guy pulls up and he had in the bed of his car, of his truck, uh, several tires uh, that possibly might fit in case he needed to actually uh, swap out the tires and he had all the equipment in order to in order to fix our tire and <laughs> it was very cool he has what what was called a bead bazooka i'd never even heard of such a thing but the bead bazooka is filled with air and without coming in contact with either the tire or the rim he takes it and he blasts it at the tire and it pops back on the rim which is totally amazing to me so then he pumps it up and we found a nail in the tread so he had to take it so off again spread some all poop the in the hole and fix well, it up well it's actually considerably more complex than that but uh, of course the guy knew exactly what to do and uh, apparently we did have uh, a nail in the tread and because it was in the tread we could fix it and patch it and so uh, a couple hours later the guy puts the rim and the tire back together we fill it up with air and it's been good since so now the only <laughs> remaining oh, motorhome no. repair we have left to do is the rogue antenna you remember we were so happy <laughs> about that too, the huh? rogue uh, we love the rogue. wi-fi extender and the service that it provided us in canada and ken had mounted it in, <laughs> at an angle so that if he accidentally drove over a low-hanging um 
gas filling roof uh, that it would bend backwards and he wouldn't break it. But when the Amish technician took our coach into the repair backed. facility, he backed it in and snapped off our antenna. So as far as we know, that's the last <laughs> repair we have to take care of when we get home again um, and to replace. The washer dryer has been, the washer anyway, has been winterized and the coach is uh, now parked away in its winterizing condition, which was... Ah, a big load off of our minds right. before we take off because we know it's going to be freezing. Um, and it's By the time we get home again. And we're gonna, not going to use it again until January. So we will not be in a campground near you in the near future, but we will be looking forward to seeing you in January. We've got some um, RV news here to talk about that we um, downloaded before we left home because we aren't getting much news now that we're here in <laughs> Kenya. bit of news for the RV industry is that we baby boomers are spurring RV sales because we are retiring in droves. Um, perhaps the relatively cheap price of gasoline is a factor in that as well, but um, we certainly saw it in the two factories that we toured. Things are going great guns in the RV industry, and they seem to be back on track for the future. Approximately 11,000 baby boomers turn 65 every day until the year 2029. That's a lot of customers for RVs. So we are looking forward to good things happening in the RV business uh, over the next few years because I think RV, our baby boomers like us are among the primary users of of RVs. You know, we camp in uh, Walmarts every once in a while. and There's a Walmart in Brunswick, Maine, which is a town that we drove by on our way out of Canada this summer, and they are very proactively welcoming RVs to their parking lot. And uh, they only ask that you call ahead of time and get their permission, but they... Um, after their customers leave for the evening, the article says that they fill up with all sorts of boondockers who have headed out of Canada <laughs> and are yes. using this as their first night's stay. And uh, well, that Walmart finds that the RVers are good customers and the RVers are happy for the free night of boondocking, and it's a great situation that every Walmart should have. Yeah, well, Maine is kind of a loose and free state, so that's something that they can have. We watch a show called Flipping RVs. Oh, is that what it's is called? Is that the name of it? I don't know what it's called. <laughs> we watch it. There are a lot of RV shows, and, and, and many of them, um, although we watch them, make us yell at the TV. But this is one that we rather admire the people who buy extremely old, mostly trailers, some of them older than we are, and they, in a very classy and quality way, restore these trailers to vintage condition and also manage to insert a few of the modern conveniences that we all think we need these days like a refrigerator instead of an ice box and they scour the northwest where they are based and uh, look for things like hinges and light fixtures and door handles that all are exactly true to the period and true to that particular rig. They find stuff out in the, in the desert that's been totally unwashed unwatched for years and years and years and so that it's dilapidated but it still has some components which can be <laughs> refurbished and With used lots it's of amazing efforts. to watch the the show they anything before the 1970s i would say is is game for their their restoration it's called uh, the the company is called flight camp that, yeah. In Bend, Oregon. Anyway, they have uh, partnered with a campground. Called the Vintages the Trailer Resort, which right. is in Oregon wine country. And if you want to go stay at this resort, uh, they have 
purchased a bunch of these restored trailers from Flight Camp, and you can stay in a vintage trailer for the night instead of staying in a motel room. And, of course, it ain't cheap either to have it restored or to stay at the park, but it could be kind of fun sometimes to stay in one of these RVs with lots of wood and the old-style refrigerators, and, yeah, it's just interesting to see. Along the same line, we're going to put up a link to um, an article about a couple who converted a vintage 1954 Airstream into their dream home on wheels. Uh, They did much of the work themselves with their friends, had some professional help along the way, but if a do-it-yourself project like that would be appealing. Oh, yes, I see out the field there, a dilapidated, junky old Airstream. I'm going to think I'm going to go buy it and restore it. Well, right. some people think that's Yeah, fun. they do, obviously. Yeah, that's not something that I would uh, think about. Then we also have a link to a video which is promoting road trip tourism in New Zealand, and <laughs> it shows a motorhome driving on the wrong side of the road, just as we were running about... Now, why would the tourism board... Just as we were ranting and raving about the RV engineers never having stayed in an <laughs> RV, whoever made this article or this video had never been to New Zealand and didn't realize that they drove on the left. So it's very suspicious whether the video was actually made in New Zealand, even though it's sponsored by the tourism board of New Zealand. Of course, it's just an RV going down the road with mountains in the background. I didn't recognize them, but who knows? But if you lived in, New, in New Zealand, Zealand you would notice. But you'd notice if there's a vehicle driving on what to us is the wrong side of the road, but this one was driving on the correct side of the road. So maybe it was meant to appeal to Americans who were afraid to drive on the left or on the right or whatever it is. We have a little background noise here. Uh, We are not too far from a small airport and they are also working on the pool. So uh, we're sorry for any inconvenience in terms of uh, the, the sound. We are not in a professional studio. Our hotel room was so echoey that I just couldn't see recording in there so we are sitting by the pool on a pretty nice day getting ready to head off on our safari another rv factoid uh we have been fans of the rand mcnally gps software which is very sensitive to the needs of our viewers but some people already have something like a garmin that they are using in their car and it doesn't have quite all of the features that the rand has but if you are worried about driving your rig under a bridge that's too low for you there's a new app called <laughs> the route one which somehow merges with your database well, of it's your a POI. gps and has over 5,000 low clearances on major and minor roads in the U.S. and Canada. So So you can can just load this in. I mean, that's easy to do with almost any GPS. You can load in points of interest, so it'll tell you where the Walmarts are and where the low bridges are and that sort of stuff. So this is just a database that you pay for that has that capability. Um, We should also mention, too, we just found out this month that uh, Rand McNally is bringing out a brand-new GPS for RVers. And this is cool because if you have no uh, iPad or no tablet, shall we say, this GPS comes with a full operational uh, Android tablet. So it's an 8-inch tablet that has the GPS software on it, but it also allows you to do email, web browsing, and the, the total range of apps that you might be getting for Android can be installed and used on this. So you have one device which will do both. And, of course, the nice big screen that a a tablet offers is great for those of us who are a little bit hard on 
seeing uh, the tablet or seeing a, a, a small GPS. So uh, you might want to give this a look, visit their website, take a look at the video, and take a look at the new, I, I don't know the model number, but uh, the new tablet version of the Ram McNally GPS so that uh, you can have the latest. And if you don't have a tablet, this is the time to get one. One device does it all. Very cool magnetic mount, which charges. And so when you want to use the tablet as a tablet, you just pull it off the mount, and you can sit down and start using it. The mount does not interfere with the use of the tablet itself. And while we're on the subject of GPSs, I understand that there's a show on TV called Death by <laughs> GPS. Um, I don't think it's on TV. Oh, Every few weeks, another... Oh, it's another headline. <laughs> this in particular is... TV show <laughs> Well, I saw this on TV. Oh, no, really? Where the, where the people got stranded in Death Valley. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was on 2020 or something. Which is where we are about to go this winter. Yes, but um, I don't think they have a whole TV show all stranded. But... Well, you hear enough stories. I know. Well, that's why... Maybe this is a good idea for a new TV show. <laughs> Yes, I don't want. I, but how do you find death? But if you're dead, it obviously <laughs> has to be a reenactment, just no. as dying in Death Valley show was that I saw, um, where there seemed to be many phantom roads that the GPS knew about. Maybe they were mining roads yeah. at some time. And that, of course, they have a picture as part of this webpage of a some place that has a big sign that says don't follow this road uh, with, with your, your GPS, GPS because you're making the mistake. And there have been numerous times when. Uh, the GPS has taken us wrong, but well, that's why we run two GPSs and, uh, and have to, a map on and my have lap. A map, have a little map there to go to, so yeah. <laughs> it's entirely possible. And while we're worrying about wrong. things going wrong, Ken read a dismaying article right before we left where a man had parked his motorhome in a storage lot with video monitoring, just as we do, mm, yes. and they had a lovely recording of two men coming into this storage lot and stealing his RV and driving it away. And no one had any idea idea where it had gone. The police were notably unhelpful in looking for it. Well, they take it off the license plates because put on different ones. They can't just drive all over the state looking for motorhomes. So and so that began to make us worry. They were glad to worry. be covered if they had some idea where it was. Because we leave our motorhome um, unattended for lengths of time, as we are right now. So the news of this theft got our wheels to turning, and yes. we went to REI, or Gander well, and, and purchased a yes. spot. <laughs> And no, a spot trake, trace. And, and this is a little gizmo you attach to any item that you want to keep tabs on, and it c- communicates with a satellite. We'd heard of LoJack and other systems like that, but they are expensive and, and use cell service. This is actually a very cool device, and I don't know why I didn't know about it before, because uh, I think it has a lot of potential use for, for many people. The idea is, is that it has a small device which uses satellite communication, which you mount exterior on the roof and I mean the device is about five inches square and of course it has batteries in it or you can hook it up to a power supply but it has batteries and it reports in any time that it's moved and it reports the exact GPS coordinates so even when I installed it at our house and drove it to the storage lot it recorded that which of course was nice to know and then it sends you an email whenever your vehicle or whenever your whatever it's located on it moves 
And because the batteries are only taxed when the vehicle is in right. motion, um, the battery life is supposed to be pretty long, so you don't have to worry about it's like six or eight months, right? It running out while you are. And it gives you a warning when the away. batteries are low through email. So, th- so through some sort of s- satellite connection, it uh, pings this device and uh, it reports back and tells you exactly where it's located. So if somebody were to steal our RV or move it without our permission, well, anytime, it would report back and we could find it uh, exact its exact location, which I guess is <laughs> heartening. But you well, you could it. then have the police. You could tell the police where it was, and they could yeah do their job. Yeah, well, just yeah. I've never really thought about this as being a viable option for a motorhome, whether you're on the road or whether you're at home. This could be a problem. So. We, we bought one of these devices. The device is $100, and then the yearly service is another $100, which to me is pretty reasonable considering the cost of your RV. And the, <laughs> I was really surprised. Uh, I looked to see where I could go buy it, and it w- the closest place was Gander Mountain, which, of course, has a lot of stores. And I thought, you know, that's a sporting goods store, not an RV store. I've never seen these available for RVs. And because this little puck is so small, you can actually mount it on most anything. You can mount it on a snowmobile or a boat or motorcycle. M- a motorcycle or An expensive <laughs> racing bike. And his horse, <laughs> because yeah. his horse kept getting away. You can put this on any device. It has a multiple mounting gizmos. And as long as you have a 4 by 4 inch space that is available to the sky, it's black, and it's not very noticeable, you could easily put it on anything that you want to keep track of. And the $100 a year is pretty reasonable for keeping track of things. I think motorhomes are probably not something that are stolen that often, but I could see Once is a lot of sports things. Yeah, all sorts of things might be uh, <laughs> vulnerable to being stolen, and this device would, would help very much. And of course, I would think even me, if I get lost. <laughs> I should have one on me. Yeah? I'm the one who well, gets lost. Well, I mean, if you're a hiker and you're out in the middle of the woods someplace, this lets your family or somebody know exactly where you are. Because it not only pings you, it sends an email, but it actually follows your route. So it will, as it's moving, every whatever you set it for, Two minutes, a couple it? minutes, it will send back the location. So you can actually follow it as it moves. I haven't really compared it to LoJack or some other car-oriented device, but this... Uh, the I price was right. ...will sa- satisfy our needs. So take a look at that. And, of course, where will you find the link for that? On thervnavigator.com. Uh, but if you're interested in it, it's findmespot.com. FindMeSpot.com. Okay, so we have talked about lots of uh, Wi-Fi being available in the parks that we go to, and you know I think this is becoming something more and more common. And I'd read an article about Tango, which we've not been very happy with, but they are the largest provider of campground Wi-Fi. You want to tell the campground owners that you uh, we appreciate having fast Wi-Fi, and they need to put that as the top of their list of priorities uh, to me and for many RVers. I think uh, our caravan this summer kind of proved that, that everybody was interested in getting Wi-Fi nearly every night. And a lot of campgrounds say, well, it's just too expensive, but Tango has a nice option that they put it in a typical 200-site campground, they have free service and then they have premier service so that the premier service basically pays for the free service, which is not a bad idea. Uh, and I might be willing on, you know, for a long-term stay to, to get premier service. And or when you I have w- to put up the next podcast. Or 
I might be just taking the free if I'm just staying overnight. But the thing that this article talks about is the fact that the typical usage where people will use Wi-Fi and are willing to pay more will actually pay for the free Wi-Fi and that campgrounds can then afford to put in Wi-Fi and not really have them pay for the cost of it because Tango takes care of that. And it's fair. If you use a lot of Wi-Fi, you should be willing to pay a little more for it. And if all you do is check a little email, why should you have to pay? It's just like, why do we have to pay at the KOA for the bouncing pillow that we're never going to use? Exactly, or the pool or whatever. Those things are just not uh, on our radar, but the Wi-Fi is. And so this is, uh, what I guess the, the bottom line here is, is that campgrounds really don't have to pay for Wi-Fi. It's self-supporting. And... If that's the case, then they should be offering really good Wi-Fi to everybody because companies like Tango are willing to foot the origination bill and then charge the ca- the campgrounds a, a fee based on how many people are actually uh, willing to pay more for the premium service. All right, so that takes care of the campground business. Now we have to talk about travel because that's really the exciting part about our podcast this month. We've just um, flown to Nairobi from five days in Dubai, which is a city that was new to us and yes. impressed us very much. And probably not on your radar either. Dubai is on the Persian Gulf. Yeah, across from Iran. Um, Gulf of Arabia. And in a neighborhood that most of us don't feel very good about, um, the news from the Middle East and the Arab part of the world tends to be rather negative and rather anti-American. So some of our neighbors said to us, why would you want to go there? But we can recommend <laughs> this city very strongly. Certainly Dubai was a little nothing um, when we were kids, a little fishing village and has exploded into a dynamic city of over 2 million residents, and the spark plug for that was the discovery of oil. But these days, uh, 70% of their income is made from tourist revenues because they know that the oil will run out. And unlike and they many, don't have that much oil. And unlike many Arab nations, they have a more cosmopolitan take on things. And while they like to wear headdresses and long flowing robes, they don't think that I should, which I appreciate very much. And so it was a very comfortable place to be a tourist, very well organized. If you are a shopper, the malls there are enormous and and beautiful and in some cases feature retail establishments and restaurants that have closed in the United States, which was kind of funny to see. Certainly one of their premier highlights in one of their malls is a ski area where you can take a lift up on a mountain and I'm saying that with air quotes around it and interior and they give lessons so the locals take off their headdresses and their robes and put on their parkas and learn how to ski it was fun to watch now it's it's interesting to see how this came about because the United Arab Emirates uh, of which Dubai Dubai is one of the major cities is a conglomeration of six uh, seven seven emirates that formed a new country in 1961 or something like that and and Dubai was nothing. It was just an outpost village. in the sand. And right now it is just an, a, an outpost in the sand. It is just, you know, the quintessential desert. 
the southwestern deserts of the United States have, have uh, cactus. This has just sand. So when you fly to Dubai, you don't see much natural beauty because it's, it is just sand and it's in the middle of sand. But it has become a hub. So Emirates Airline, which we flew, flies to many, many parts of the world from Dubai, including a nonstop flight from Chicago, which is why we took them. Once you get there, you find out that it is a totally unique city because in the United States, we sometimes talk about planned cities, but this one is truly planned because the rulers who rule with a fairly strong hand, but they're kind of recognize that capitalism is a good thing, and so they're not going to be too heavy-handed with with the rules and regulations, but they decided that they were going to make a world-class city. They have built 4,000 towers, and they have the first, they have the tallest building in the world. By they far. Have the, they have the largest mall in the world, as well as the second largest mall in the world. And so all of these things have been built since the 60s, and so it's a very new and modern city. It has, unlike other places you go, it doesn't have slums, it doesn't have low-income low housing and stuff, because, <laughs> because <laughs> they have uh, adopted a very interesting way of handling immigration. And labor. And labor. They have virtually no crime, and everything is just incredibly clean and nice. The subway... The metro, you're not allowed to eat, to chew gum, so the floors are immaculate. They are air-conditioned. We should mention also that it, it's very hot there, and so everything is air-conditioned. The cars are all fairly new. The, it, the whole place is just, like, picture-perfect in many ways. You know, they, they made it with the idea that it's planned for tourism and visitors, so 15% of the population is locals. locals, meaning citizens of the country. Who were born there and are of the Bedouin mm. ancestry because the, one of our tour guides was born there, but he is still an Iranian because his father was an Iranian, and you can never get citizenship there unless you are born to a citizen family. So they have no immigration per se. You cannot become a citizen of this country. <laughs> So, so, why do people come? Well, because of the economic opportunity. So they allow guest worker visas that are two years in length and can be renewed an infinite number of times. But if you misbehave or you're a, you're a problem, you're gone. You don't have a job, you're gone. That's, so that's why there's no crime. <laughs> no crime. Because there's no, people say, everybody is working hard, everybody's getting paid a decent wa wage, and they don't have time to be to have criminals. They don't have drugs, they don't have condone alcohol. So you can buy alcohol in, in restaurants, tourists can, but the locals just don't partake. So it's an incredible country. The presence of the monarch is everywhere, but... They're beloved. A benevolent dictator. And, of course, many of the workers are coming from India, which I think if you listen to our podcast that we made in India, you'll find that India is full of uh, infrastructure that doesn't work. And people are dying to get out, well, are anxious to get out and, and find a, a decent job. And Dubai offers those jobs. The, ma the, major the majority population was Indian. Southeast Asian somewhere. Was Indian. Yeah. They have people who have been working there for 20, 25 years. We talked to cab drivers. We talked to tour, tour guides. guides. And these people have been working there. They love it. They send their money back to home. And even one guy we talked to was born in Dubai, um, but he's not a citizen. So this and is never will a very be. different approach to immigration. And than you the can't United marry States a local has. and become a citizen as you can in our country. 
They so. also had really fabulous hotels that reminded me a lot of the best of Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. There was no gambling there, and there didn't okay, seem no to consumers. be a lot of performing yet. Um, but in Theater terms of things. places to stay with um, infinity pools and lavish gardens and golf courses in the desert, uh, it, everything had to be bigger and better, and it was. They're definitely competing with uh, Macau and Las Vegas, and the biggest and the best is and hotel rooms that just cost an astronomical. However, with that said, we had a pretty good time for five days. And we didn't we stayed spend that in a, much money. We stayed in a very reasonably priced hotel, we, and we took some nice tours. We went into the desert and had dinner. We went to some of the, the tallest building in the world. We went to watch the snow skiing. We had high they have, they have the largest the aquarium hotels. in the world, so they have a, a huge fish tank. Everything they're building is to be the best in the or the the thing of the in the world. And they're building so a you, lot of residential complexes with hotels on the edges that are being reclaimed from the ocean. The one that they have right now that's already open is shaped like a palm tree, and they told us that the residential parts of it sold out in three days. So they are building more of these reclaimed they call it palm, palm trees right. into the Gulf. Uh, and, of course, one of the appealing things about living there is that every home is on the beach because each palm frond is like a separate row of houses and has that water exposure so they are really trying to think of what would be the next great thing and how can we get people to come to dubai and then come back again and, and you can buy golf course lots they do all of their water their fresh water is desalinated which of course is outrageously expensive but all these workers are living there and the people we talk to you never hear about this <laughs> there are no disgruntled workers and if you're disgruntled and don't like it, then go. Leave. Go home. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much the uh, the attitude of people. You're making money. You're uh, successful. You're able to send money home. So don't grouse about it. <laughs> you know, your job is hard. You are working hard. And that's the way the life life is. So uh, Ken and Martha don't necessarily believe that. but <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. But, but that's the, the life. And uh, there are so many of these people from third world countries which are really appreciative of having these jobs and having a place and of course it's only three hours from india so the indians can easily go home and and visit frequently and it was an easy place for us as americans because everyone spoke english Um, with people there from so many parts of the world as workers english is always the common denominator language and we really profit from that and all of the signage was in Arabic and in English, so we always knew what was going on and where to go on the metro. And the only things that had no English lettering were the mosques, which is probably because they didn't <laughs> want us to be there in the first place. So in that way, it was a very tourist-friendly city as well. Yeah, it was very interesting that way, too. The, the traffic was very well regulated, uh, lots of expressways, and no horns to speak of. Uh, Unlike because, India, because that's yes, <laughs> or New York City. In, in India, we found the, you know, the pollution from the cars and the trucks and the. I think we talked about the traffic just being so chaotic. You could, you could never drive there yourself. But here, I felt it was pretty normal driving as long as you knew how to get around the city. But it was a big city and and had lots of uh, narrow streets and that sort of stuff. But everything that had been built since the '60s. So the standards were much higher, and you don't find the ramshackle buildings that were being torn down. And in a lot of places in India, you find, or lots of third world countries, buildings that have been started but not finished. Here, <laughs> Saturdays, Sundays, every day of the week, there were little men out working on 
This hundreds of buildings. They said one-third of the world's construction cranes are located in Dubai itself. And even in our country, we think of ourselves as a fairly young country. We're yes. having major <laughs> infrastructure problems, and having to repair things and make things wider and bigger and stronger is very expensive. And Dubai really profits from its newness because everything was built with the modern standards and demands in mind. So, dear listener... Put Dubai on your travel list. Yes, it's a great place, and we will have a full report on Africa Safari uh, next month because we will be embarking on that very soon. We're actually doing this podcast just a bit early because we are very worried about the upcoming availability of Wi-Fi. <laughs> Unlike the campgrounds in the United States, apparently some of the safari camps in Kenya don't have uh, Wi-Fi. We're expecting to leave tonight and to have electricity for five hours a night, or five hours a day two hours in the morning and three hours at night. So that'll be a little bit of a difference um, from what we're used to. We'll be staying, well, I don't know, we could almost call this camping. We're going to be staying in glamping. permanent tents. Not glamping, I don't know. Uh, we're going to be staying in tents in the desert someplace, or in the Maasai Mara is where we're going next. So it'll be an interesting report, and we will be learning a lot as we travel down the road as uh, next month approaches. So we're doing this a bit early. We're going to mount this, hopefully while we have good Internet, and then um, <laughs> we'll see what happens down the road because we might not be able to chat with you. For a while. For a while. So uh, that takes care of uh, November 2015, and we're looking for uh, coming up to the 10-year anniversary for the big celebration. Ooh, we better plan a party. Let's see if we can give away a free safari to Africa. <laughs> You have deeper pockets than I thought. Uh Okay, well, stay tuned for next month, and we will see you, well... We'll see you next year at a campground near us. Yeah, okay. (laughs) That's the way we say it. Happy travels. Bye now.